And welcome to Pints and Politics, the May 23rd, 2019 edition. Joining me tonight in the studio is our guest panel on public health and, on, and the Ontario government budget cuts. They are uh, Certified Dental Assistant and Union President of QP Local 4170 in Public Health, Amanda Marsh. Healthcare worker and union president uh, of QP 1943 at PRHC, Laurie Hatton, and city councillor Stephen Wright, the guest before. Welcome all. Now, could we start with a bit of background on each of your unions and uh, how you're involved in public health and healthcare in Ontario? QP is one of the largest unions in both Ontario and Canada approximately 680,000 members across Canada and 270,000 in Ontario. We represent workers in almost every city, town, country, and unorganized territory in the province. QP is the main union in public health Ontario. QP is the largest healthcare union in Canada, approximately 150K. Okay, and Laura? I also belong to QP, which uh, has been my union for my whole entire career. So locally at at the hospital, we are a uh, membership of about 730 healthcare workers. Uh, We've participated in in many events that are sponsored by QP, QP being QP National, QP Ontario, and the Ontario Council of Hospital Unions, which is also a division of QP. So we're spread out quite thin, but we all have the same goal in mind, which is to defend public health. Right. Would it be fair to say that the membership you represent is the front line of service delivery? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, it, it most definitely is. Now, Stephen, I won't ask you about your union. You don't ask <laughs> <laughs> The movement hasn't started yet. Not councils. yet. Okay. All right. Now, in terms of what's going on, there's been so much in the press lately. Uh, there was a huge demonst- uh, healthcare demonstration on Tuesday, April 30th at Queen's Park. There were over 10,000 people. Do you know anyone who was there? I was. Oh, well, I was. What absolutely. Was, what was that well, like? Well, as I said, I've, I've been part of QP for 29 years, and rallies are our thing. And I have to admit that that rally on, on April 30th was the largest rally I ever participated in. Right. And it was a rally that wasn't just unionized members out there. Right. There was everybody from the public. There was a strong, strong support of the Ontario Health Coalition, right. who actually was the sponsor of that rally. Right. And then they uh, brought in uh, several different community people. They brought in all different unions, not just QP. We were well represented across the board on all of that. And again, it was it was just the public in general, whether they were unionized or or pensioners or just uh, walking by. The, the overall feeling we got was people were extremely opposed to these proposed cuts and the uh, new budget implications that may have on all of us. Right. Now, there are those who maintain that the healthcare sector is bloated and the healthcare workers must lower their expectations in order to help the province deal with its finances. How do you respond to these critics? Well, it all depends on, on what you're referring to. Um, the healthcare budgets themselves are, are actually extremely lean hmm. compared to other provinces and stuff like that. If you're talking about actual workers and stuff like that, we, um, uh, we strive to provide the, the um, ultimate of care for all our patients and stuff. And then from a public sector, private sector comparator, we're, we're very comparable for, for the level of education that we do have to provide these services to our patients. So as for being bloated and stuff like that, I would say actually that I would say that's an untrue statement. Uh, if you look at other provinces, um, just to east, east and west of us, they actually receive more funding than we do in Ontario. We are actually a very lean healthcare providing team. Yes, I, I have a quote here from that uh, that famous Marxist source of propaganda, the National Post, that's, <laughs> that says, Ontar- and this is a quote from an article uh, that appeared in the February 14th edition by journalist Randall Denley, and the quote is, Ontario spends the least per capita on health care of any province. Alberta, with poorer results, spends the second most. So when I came across that, I said, wow, people, do people know that? Okay, 
Now, the Ford government seems to be able to press ahead with their agenda in spite of all the objections. Uh, for example, uh, Health, Health Minister Christine Elliott uh, said the concern about privatization is completely misguided. Uh, that's not going to happen, she told reporters at Queen's Park. Everything we are doing is to strengthen our public health care system. What are your, what's the union fears on privatization? What's the agenda there, both on the government side and, and your response? Amanda? <laughs> In fact, they explicitly told us that they want to move the work from the non, like, that the non-worker would not feel the, would not feel the cuts. Yes, um, we heard that slogan, right? No worker will lose a job. Yeah. But all during the campaign. Exactly. But what's happening? But even for us at QP and at public health, unfortunately, we've kind of already felt a bit of the cut due to the fact that our youth development worker position will not be filled because it is cut with the budget cuts. They had to make a decision instead of when well, we had somebody leave. So we're not filling that position at the time. So that is a frontline worker for us. So that was a person, let's say, who who left for their reasons yes. and they're not being replaced. Correct. So the government could still say, well, the job wasn't cut. No, they can't, but they have to pull money from somewhere. Right, so instead right. of filling that position, we've now kind of lost that position for the time being. Sure. So we can see where budget would come. Now, now, Stephen, you're at the, in a way, you're at the end of uh, the food chain uh, in the terms of funding. You used to have funding, par- uh, well, three funding partners, I understand, mm-hmm. for public health and for paramedic services, uh, that being the province, the county, and, of course, the province. What is the impact of the province's withdrawal? It's going to be significant because in the 2018-2019 the budget process, uh, there were a couple of councillors that said, well, you know, we should wait until after the uh, provincial budget comes down uh, before advancing any new money to uh, public health, Right. Uh, given that we're one of the funders. And, you know, it, it, we hate going back and saying, well, I told you so. <laughs> because we've advanced out three years uh, of funding yeah. that, you know, with our reserve so dangerously low that if we did have a public health crisis here in Peterborough, we have no money to fund it. Like another uh, SARS outbreak. An, another or, SARS outbreak yeah. or any uh, other epidemic. Uh, there, there's no money in, uh, to fund it. And, you know, to think that uh, this government is actually cutting I can't remember a time in all the years that I've been politically involved Mm -hmm. where a provincial budget comes down with cuts that happen on a weekly or daily, uh, you know, where organizations can't budget or plan their activities because you don't know what the announcement will be tomorrow as far as another cut. Right. Now, could you correct my understanding? The the city is a partial funder for public health yeah. and for paramedic services? Yes. And what is that proportion? Is it one-third, one-third, one-third? Is it 25, 25, 50? I mean, what uh, for percent? Pu- for public health, we do 25%. Uh, and and you know, we are one of the lowest in the regions in Ontario because the average formula is a 70-30 split. Okay, so the city does 25. The county does another 25, I assume? Yes. And the province does 50? Yes. And that 50 has... Has now been cut. Gone? Yeah. Like not half of the 50, all of the 50. All of the 50. Right. So, and, you know, with the realignment as well, it puts Peterborough uh, in, in the recent announcement with Durham Region. And, you know, it's it's hard for somebody in Durham Region when it comes to public health to understand what a septic system is if you're in Ajax. Right. And, and, <laughs> yeah. You know, because they think everybody's on municipal services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there is going to be a significant amount of challenge in this budget process. Um, you know, and I, I say it out there all the time. There's one taxpayer, and, and in this budget process, we're going to have to learn how to squeeze a nickel from a penny as a result of these provincial cuts. Right. Now, what Stephen just said about public health, what does this mean in terms of... Well, hiring in public health, our population is growing. Peterborough is now a town of 80,000. It used to be a town, when I arrived here, of 70,000. So that means more services, more kids to vaccinate, more low-income seniors for dental work, etc., etc. So how do you hire new staff? Unfortunately, at the time, we can't. (laughs) So what does that mean? So, well, again, the new umbrella tree, they want to turn 35 health units into 10. So we're right. going to be lumped in with Durham and like Prince Edward. 
Um, HKPR, um, unfortunately, Durham is not a rural area, which makes it a little bit more challenging when you look at all of our aspects. Um, We're we're going to lose the medical officer of health for Peterborough, board of health for Peterborough. It'll be one looking over the whole blanket, which is approximately 1.2 million people that this umbrella will fall under versus our 140,000 that we take care of right now. So the current Lynn is 140,000, and this new region will be 1.2 million. Yeah, so Peterborough Public Health takes care of 140 in our rural area, yes. Okay. Now, you're, uh, we've moved into the next question, oh, so let me spit it out. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. The proposal is that the 20 existing health agencies, including the 14 uh, LINs, uh, are going to be in a monolithic superstructure known as Ontario Health. Will this super agency be more efficient than the current system, which includes the 14 LINs? What will be the impact of the reorg? See, I can't say much to the lens. I can say much, like, a bit to the public health side by turning it in from 35 to 10. Real concern for local municipalities as well as, like, our First Nations. Could, could you help me understand yeah. the difference between what I just read in this quote, the 14 lens and the 35 and 10? So the lens are, so. The 35 and 10 are public so thir- health? Are public health. The LIN is gotcha. something completely separate okay. from us. Okay. Yes. Okay. Now, what will this, I guess you could call restructuring of the 14 LINs do? Will that affect you much? Oh, absolutely. Like for hospitals and stuff, each, the 14 LINs all carry, uh, cover the entire province. Right. So when you amalgamate them down to one super agency, as, as much as Amanda was saying that the public health went from 140,000 service providing service to to 1. million. Imagine one healthcare unit right. servicing all of Ontario and not only are they amalgamating hospitals and stuff like that they're also amalgamating uh, Cancer Ontario is is also being lumped in there as well and also all our um, various other services that we have that are lumped under uh, uh, health hospital health. So the lens were divided when when they were brought in under Harris mm-hmm. there was a lot of not a lot, but there was more public consultation right. in, in regards to that. People were more involved. There were open board meetings. People could go. They could could understand. But with Ford's proposal, there's there's none of that. It's just my way, our way. The Ministry of Health is driving this forward with very little direction to er- anyone on how it's even going to be done. And our biggest concern about that is, as as I said before, the Ontario Health Coalition is is probably one of the strongest defenders of public health care. They have participated in, in the budgetary system. Could you could you tell me who's in that coalition? In the coalition, um, the director is Natalie Mahar, and she's been the director for probably as long as I've known, at least 19 years, if not right. longer. So they have always been at the table of the Ontario Provincial Budget for Health Care. Right. And they were actually blocked from being allowed into the legislation. That's the type of um, mm. it, there is no transparency right. when, when you when you have such a strong community support as the Ontario Health Coalition, literally kicked out of the legislation. And they are doctors, hospitals, uh, healthcare Ontario, unions. They they are everything. Um, QP supports right. Ontario Health. Uh, they we are affiliated with them as well. But it's private sector is it supports it. Doctors, medical, all okay. different people, e- even like just the general public. Oh, okay. Be a member of the Ontario uh, Health Coalition. It's okay. it's not a union. Right. They are they are not not for profit. They are um, nonpartisan. They are actually the the defender uh, advocacy group. Right. Absolutely great. So so with the with these <laughs> lens, the way that uh, they're structuring it down to one mm-hmm. mega group now, they're you're going to lose what little bit of public and local uh, um, intervention that we had is now sure. gone. Sure. Stephen. I just wanted to pick up on the point that she actually made as well, that, you know, during the Harris years, with all of those significant cuts, at least they consulted. And, you know, municipalities have the Association of Municipalities where we can voice some of our concerns. Yes. Uh, and there was no consultation at all with any of the municipalities. Right. And the majority of these cuts came down after most municipalities had already passed their municipal budgets. Right. Now, this article I I quoted from earlier in the National Post, uh, Randall Denley, the journalist, said, I'm going to read a a long quote from him. Rather than address the well-known healthcare deficiencies, 
with long-known solutions, Ford and his team would have us believe that restructuring the healthcare bureaucracy is just what the system needs. Any reasonable person would ask how centralization worked elsewhere before plunging Ontario over that particular cliff. By the way, I am reading from the National Post here, so before you press the panic button, this is... So, um, before on, uh, plunging Ontario over the uh, pr- that particular cliff, but there's no evidence of that in the slim government report that uh, raises the idea of a super agency. There is no review of the experience of other provinces, no analysis and no argument made to show why centralization is better. Yet, the new agency is said to be set to go. So... When I when I brood over that, I'm wondering in healthcare. I mean, all of us probably have, uh, if not ourselves, family members who have benefited from science-based uh, healthcare and medical attention. Why are we? Why is the government ignoring evidence, science, you know, from other provinces? How how can we move forward in this decision without looking around to other jurisdictions for evidence? I mean, Denley goes on. I, I guess the question becomes is what what can we do to counter this intentional neglect of evidence? Denley goes on. He says Ontarian, Ontarians might want to take a look at Alberta's experience in two thousand and eight. That province's PC government decided that Alberta, Alberta's healthcare regions and small agencies ought to be folded into one central health organization instead of the hope for bureaucratic efficiency. Uh, Albertans got bureaucratic chaos and worsened healthcare results. CEOs came and went with great rapidity. There were complaints of government micromanaging, and at one point the whole board was fired. In 2017, after nearly a decade of centralized health care control, Alberta's wait times for hip replacement, knee replacements, cataracts, bypass surgery were all significant longer, significantly longer than those in Ontario. The same was true for every major type of cancer surgery. Overall, Ontario, uh, Alberta's wait times were the seventh best in the country, while uh, Ontario's were second best. So, healthcare in Canada used to be based on science. So, what's going on? <laughs> We're not basing it on science nor facts anymore, or, or, or public consultation. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, you've got now a series of bureaucrats and accountants in a room looking at budget line, bottom line numbers. Is uh, you know, let's pull it from the sky and cut here, cut there, and and well. In the name of balancing provincial budgets, we'll download it to municipal governments and let them figure it out. Yeah, and, and we were talking before the program. Uh, certainly, uh, I know one of you is a Peterborough taxpayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. Lori, you're a Peterborough, and, and, and Maggie, you are too. So, mm-hmm. so that's four of us. Mm-hmm. Our taxes, the four of us, will go yeah. up. And uh, rather than do without those crucial services... I, for one, uh, will begrudgingly pay them because I want those services. But it, it's to your point, Stephen, there's only one taxpayer. Yeah. So you save us on the provincial, we're going to pay more, municipal more municipal side because we need ambulances, yeah. we, we need vaccinations, etc. Yeah. All right. So on the front line, then, uh, what impact do you expect this to have in the workplace, in the public health workplace, on on service delivery. Now, this article quotes all these operations. I mean, will uh, those of us living in Peter will be able to get uh, the standard operations we've come to expect? And we have an older population, so the joint replacements are a big deal. I mean, I imagine PRHC does a lot of hips and knees. You know, I have a new hip, you know, <laughs> etc. Are, are there other? I, I remember how you got that hip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Uh, we won't survey the room to see who else has new joints. But what's going to happen to those services? I think from a public health perspective, we're not really sure how it's going to look yet. There's so many unknowns out there that uh, we're not too sure as to how it's going to come down. Hopefully, it doesn't affect, like, the main... We're all main parts, right? So we're a preventive service. Right. Without public health, like, you can't prevent people having measles. Like, the measles is going crazy right now in certain yes. areas. And you're cutting public funding which you'd think that you would want to ramp it up to make sure that we can stop it from hitting any other cities in the, at the time being. Right. Yes, and I, I remember meeting a, uh, uh, I don't usually travel in these circus, uh, circ- circles, but uh, by accident, uh, 
uh, two Christmases ago, met a, uh, a research biologist who just retired from U of T, and he goes to all these global conferences, and he says, he, he, he shared his files with me, you know, they might be worth doing a program on at some point, he said, what the, the, the uh, international public health people are afraid of are these viruses that will spread, that will make SARS look like the sniffles. So it would seem that having good public health is the first line of defense. It's like having, you know... Uh, you know, some sort of military. Yes. Well, it's even like the Walkerton water crisis that yes. we had, right? So the Walkerton water crisis was about 19 years ago. Um, there were seven people that were killed. Yes. 2,300 people fell ill. Right. Um, so, and then again, like, you have your SARS outbreak, which killed 44 people in Toronto. Right. Um, and then you had your H1N1 after we got funding again in 2007. Yeah. They upped our funding, so we were able to hit the ground running yeah. and really hammer that out really fast with immunizations and i think public health did a great job in preventing it from spreading any farther well now you raise an interesting point i mean i uh i get a letter from my doctor each winter uh, or each fall saying get your get yourself over for the uh, flu shot and i do i do uh and I find that I actually could get that flu, sh- flu shot not only at a doctor's office, but also at um, Shoppers Drug Mart, pharmacists, now, yeah. uh, pharmacists and so on. What's going to happen to those services? Because public health obviously distributes vaccine, makes sure that the people giving the shots. I mean, one year I had it in, I took the shot in uh, the pharmacy in the local supermarket. That was fine. You know, I didn't bother to say are you qualified to stick a needle in my arm i assume someone else did that but in fact you do that (laughs) yes hopefully people are qualified that are doing it i would hope so but yeah we again we don't know what it's going to look like yet it's so hard to say because it all has to trickle down um everybody gets a little piece of information at a time we're not getting a lump sum saying that this is what it's going to look like especially when we turn into 1.2 million people that we have to look after with, we assume, an amalgamated staff. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so now there's a lot in the news right now. I mean, we talked about measles and the uh, the anti-vaxxer movement and, uh, you know, I, I know well, you opioid. And, sure. But, but but on the measles thing, for kids, I know my kids were young, uh, you know, they had to prove they got the shots. So there was a whole system in place to ensure that, they got the shots, and if they didn't get the shots, there there were forms to fill out. We had to go through. What's going to happen to that process? Again, hopefully it can stay in place because th- they do get suspensions. They have to prove as yeah. to why their children are not, be- not being vaccinated. Yeah. So hopefully that can stay into place because I think that actually pushes people to ensure that their children are being vaccinated so that like the measles, mumps, rubella is not brought back up and spread widely through the community. Uh, but that is done. That whole process that I'm describing of uh, children's vaccinations, that's done through public yes, health. Yes, it is. Yes. So our public health nurses actually look after that and follow up with letters to parents that don't have the documents brought into public health. They have to make sure that everything is up to date at public health because we have a record of it. Now, unlike the example uh, I glibly, glibly gave of my flu shot I got in the pharmacy last night, the public health actually does those inoculations, Right. Or they could also be done by your doctor. Yes. Yes. So they can be done in-house, um, especially with the new Canadians and stuff that they come in. We've been known to do it for them. But you can go through your doctor as well. Your right. family doctor. But the tracking of all that data is done by public, public health. health. Yes. So doctors now have to send it into public health along with parents can bring it into public health so it can be tracked. Okay. Now, I'm looking here at... If we take the Ontario government at its word, we have to believe that Doug Ford and his team want to save taxpayers money. And if so, then what do we make, again, uh, of the following from uh, this article in the National Post? Quote, Alberta also discovered that centralization is no magic path to lowering health care costs. And then I've already quoted this about Ontario spends the least per capita. Ontario with poor results spends the second most. So so now, despite all that, Ontario is going to do what Alberta did, even though it didn't produce in Alberta the expected savings or great health care results. So 
that seems to be contrary evidence. And yet, uh, you know, the professionals I know in healthcare, they live and die by evidence. I mean, you don't make decisions without evidence. So, so how? What, uh, particularly other than that? I don't say negotiating because there isn't any negotiating, but what can be said to the government to say this is not evidence-based, this is dangerous, we don't do healthcare on this basis? How does that message get across? So for QP, we have we have extensive researchers who, who collect that sort of data and then sure. share it with all the uh, public sector people that, that need to know this information and want to know this information. For So, for example, for the hospitals, the hospitals need um, a certain amount of funding, which uh, is evidence-based just to maintain the cost of living would be 5.2%. So this year the funding uh, announced was at 2%. So already we're in the hole, even though we haven't really moved forward through our fiscal year being April 1st is when it started. Uh, for hospitals as well, similar to the municipals, the hospital budgets were um, very much dependent on funding, and, and that funding wasn't announced to the to the hospitals. So they were going basically, um, for the regional anyways, they went status quo, tried to uh, do a zero, not knowing what they were going right. to do. So a zero would result in reductions. There's no doubt about it. We didn't end up with a zero we ended up with two, but realistically, what what hospitals need across Ontario is anywhere from four to five point two percent, just to maintain the status quo on cost of living. Four point five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Increase yeah. each year. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It is. It is uh, significant costs, but it's it's everything, right? That's your operation costs. That's your electricity. That's your heat. That's let alone your labor. It's it's just the the business of the business of healthcare. Um, factor in um, compensation to your doctors. Factor in the huge astronomical costs of pharmaceuticals in in the hospitals. Those are your real drivers of of where your healthcare costs are, but they're hidden within a lot mm-hmm. of the budgets. You don't, as public, you don't see that right. as much. Um, you can see your pinwheels because the hospitals do have to disclose this through the public um, forums what their budgets are and that where their deficits are running regional is not in a deficit situation thank god Mm -hmm. but we have been um you all of us will recall when we were in a very dire strait at peterborough regional health center and we've come back from that leaps and bounds like in 2009 we lost qp alone 39 full-time equivalents um, that's just QP. That's not our own OPSU, all the other, <laughs> and then the non-union positions as well. It was, it was devastating. It absolutely was. And we've clawed ourselves back from that to be able to provide the optimum care. We've regained those positions and then some, but it's also through, uh, we believe we'll, we'll, we'll take a little bit of credit because we're loud. QP. <laughs> we're very loud. We yeah, are yeah, forever yeah. screaming. Yeah. That this is not adequate funding. This isn't about job protection. This is yeah. about defending public health care. And it's the number one priority for most of the people in Ontario. And as we are all yes. aging, we're starting to see how important that truly is. So when you have a government that's looking towards privatizing anything, they're telling us you can still go with your OHIP card and go wherever. Yes. But what we're discovering when you go to your private clinic with your OHIP card you're enticed to spend and have user fees attached to all of that, which normally you wouldn't have in our public health provided services. We don't do user fees, right. but you do in the private clinics. The other, we, we kind of skipped across what is our fear of privatization. Sure. The fear of privatization is what we call the, the skim in the cream. So the private clinics will take the, the healthy individual They'll take the individual that, that may need a scope that's just, you know, maybe for a, an employment thing. It isn't for preventative or any of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it, it leaves the, the sicker, more intense surgeries to be left at the public end. But with the fundings reduced, because we have all these private clinics providing the care, you end up with the most expensive patient being provided in the public world with less funding. So that's our concern of privatization is that it will create that imbalance of of two-tier health care. Those who can will spend it and they'll go and get there and those who can't will continue to wait or receive substandard care. So as Amanda was saying, Mm -hmm. if we draw away from the services of public health, 
it's only going to push those parameters back on the on the hospitals to deal with the people if Amanda's services can't be provided for mental health or as you were saying opiate addictions we end up with the backlog in the hospitals and we we can't sustain that right so prevention a pound of prevention is 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 worth it right yes but ford is cutting that the prevention aspect so the fear for us is the fallout health the hospitals are already um having patients cared for in the hallways uh we're over capacity quite often we all know that Lindsay last year actually had to close their doors because they were far far over capacity dangerously over capacity i didn't know that what, yeah. what, could you at, say some more about that so at, at last fall ross because of a flu outbreak yeah. they were over capacity they could not take any more patients it's called redress mm-hmm. where you you have to discourage um emergency like so emergency vehicles would go somewhere else rather than oh, bring right. a patient we tried to do that between the Ross and Peterborough we we do have some blended services already mm-hmm. and we also incorporate down as far as Northumberland and Campbellford as well there's already an integration of these services happening and with privatization coming forward it'll be the clinic services that will go out and then our other fear is that we will start to see the division of the different services being diversified for um, the different hospitals in the region. We don't know if Peterborough Regional Health Centre is going to be deemed the super hospital of the region. Right. Or is it going to be Lake Ridge or is it going to be Kingston? Because when you talk about your public health mergers, look how huge those mergers are. There's nothing to say that, that Ford wouldn't be inclined to think the same way. Because our our Lynn covers certain areas, but if they expand that, we could be swallowed up by the super centers, and then that's where our small rural hospitals are going to be uh, finding their services reduced, or that our rural people have to travel further than they ever expected with no public transit available to them to receive the services that they currently got at their local hospitals. So, what happens to? I'll pick a scenario, um, let's say someone in their late 80s mm-hmm. who who needs attention yeah. and the public services available, let's say, in Kingston, and they're mm-hmm. no longer driving because mm-hmm. uh, they can't drive a car anymore, you know, yeah. eyesight, whatever. Mm-hmm. What do they do? Well, they have to either call transfer services. Once upon a time, the ambulances did all transfers, but now you, you see them everywhere, the patient transfer services. Yes. Those are all private companies. Most of them. So that senior would have to pay. They pay. You already pay for your ambulance. Don't don't be fooled. You you you're paying for your ambulance too. There's a fee in, involved in that, especially if it's a non-emergent. If it's a transfer service as opposed to an emergent care, there's a fee right. for that as well. So the these are the types of companies that are hovering in in the background, very eager to come to Ontario to provide the services that currently we we provide under our public system. Right. Because. Who, like, there's, there's money to be made there. That's what this is all about. There's money to be made. I'd like to come back to this, this point of amalgamation and balance between privatization and public that you're, you're just talking about, uh, Lori. What jurisdiction has it right, or has it closer to right than Ontario? Is there a province or a state or country offshore that has the balance between a private and public right. Probably Sweden. Probably Sweden. Norway. Yeah. Sweden, Norway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of European countries have tried this, and and those those philosophies have come to Canada as well. Right. The British, um, uh, England, did a massive massive overhaul of their healthcare service and yeah. privatized an incredible amount of it, and it was disastrous. Mm-hmm. And QP has gone across the board and brought those um, representatives from England to explain how it went so horribly wrong and how right. you ended up with with insufficient care and user fees and all the horror stories that you've yep. heard. And and um, it, it was more long back in the days when 3Ps, private partner yes, I remember uh, building the hospitals, yeah. all of that was taking place, which right. was, again, the Harris years. Right. So Brampton had their hospital built on a 3P, and it was astronomically way above board. We built a new hospital here for $370 million. We were one of the few hospitals built in that time frame that was fully publicly funded. Mm-hmm. So the monies that um, the public spent on their hospitals as opposed to private companies went directly to health care instead of into the profits of the 
these companies that want to run these. Right. Yeah. So that's where you need to spend your money is you don't need to spend it in, in the profits and the tax or the uh, all the people who want to invest in those companies. You need sure. to invest in the public health system and keep it that way. So one of the things that uh, we do know about, uh, we recently fought back a merger between the Ross and Peterborough Regional Health Center. That was in the news quite a bit that they were going to merge the two hospitals together. Mm-hmm. And there was a, quite a bit of public outcry with that. Uh, Lindsay was adamant that they didn't want to lose their, their local hospital. And at pretty much at the ninth hour, that just kind of went away. But now. Now, did that expression merge mean one of them was going to be shut down no. and turned into a shopping center? No, absolutely not. No, both services, both hospitals would still function. It was Physical the plants. sharing yeah. of the okay. services. And okay. and even in when we were talking about the merger, we weren't too sure what exactly that meant. Sure. And then it stopped. But then with Ford's budget and with Ford's plan, he's introduced what's called the um, integrated, uh, it's called the integrated care delivery system, which is ICD. Healthcare is all about acronyms. <laughs> and, or the health team, as it said. And the problem with this is this is where you get these mega mergers. And our concerns are the different regional hospitals or different hospitals will become the specialty units. And that's our biggest fear, um, that not knowing what this is going to look like, and in, in honesty, I don't think Ford knows what it's going to look like either. So that mean like the senior who needs uh, attention for their liver, if Kingston is, dem- is exactly. designated the liver yeah. center, yep. they can't get it in Peterborough. That's right. That's well, right. That right. is one of our fears, right? Right. Currently, we have certain hospitals that have specialties. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Kingston yeah. Cancer Care, Lake Ridge has their cancer care aspect. The Toronto hospitals all have different specialties as well. Right. But it's just your general surgeries and uh, even as, as simple as mother babies. Yeah. Um, take, take a rural hospital where they have a small population, right. senior population, not a lot of babies. Right. But what if you're one of those people who are having your baby? Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know about you, if you've had children, but I yeah. got to tell you, if I if, yes. if I had to del- drive another hour while I was in labor, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be hoping to heck there's an ambulance on route because we're sure. going to be naming that after the ambulance driver because we're not going to make it. We're not yeah, going to yeah, make yeah. it. And that's not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So there you go. So those are sort of the things. And, and sure. as I said, with these health teams and the yeah. super agency and with no direction, Nobody knows where they're heading. So I know, Stephen, you're saying that as the city, you're trying to make plans. You have no idea of how much money you have to make those plans. Imagine hospitals trying to do the same. What services do we invest in? Which equipment do we we purchase? Are we going to continue with two cath labs, one cath lab? Do we get an MRI? What if we aren't going to be doing any of that? So I would suspect the CEOs are in the same boat that many people are being. What are we doing? Yeah. So it's almost a holding pattern. Stephen, this is a very unfair question. Mm -hmm. I should ask you this. But I'm just curious. What might, like our our tax rate, tax increase in Peterborough, this is 2.84? Something like that? Yeah, 2.84. What might it be to cover all these... Essential life-preserving well, services. You, you know, so would it go up a percentage? Oh, it would go up significantly. Actually, um, you know, we've heard uh, Toronto CAO most recently say that there might be two tax bills this year uh, in Toronto, and we'd hate two to, tax bills. Two tax bill in one year on on increases because of oh, oh right, okay. So, and that's to cover off the majority of those cuts, uh, particularly yeah. in the area of healthcare. And, you know, we'd hate to see the scenario in Peterborough where we've had no major industries come to Peterborough. Yes. We have a significant population of young people and young families that are leaving the city to work to say that we're going to have to double down on your tax bill. So 2.84, right. uh, all inclusive, but then you have your sewer and water surcharge on top of yes, that. Yes, yes. And you're also facing uh, the first year of reassessment on value. Right. So, you know, your effective tax rate realistically means about 7%. Oh. And now to cover off these costs, yeah. you're now looking at adding maybe another 3% to yeah. cover off what we now have to find new money for. Yeah. It, it will be very devastating to a city like Peterborough. Yes. Um, because the money just isn't there. Okay. 
Now, given, and uh, Laura, you were talking about this just a moment ago, given the scope of the proposed reorgs and the cutbacks, what impacts are we likely to see here in Peterborough? For example, what changes will a patient going in for hip or knee replacement experience? A woman being hospitalized for a high-risk uh, childbirth. We're just uh, talking about that. Uh, public health services such as disease prevention, uh, um, vaccination services, seniors care, dental services, wellness promotion. What about ambulances and paramedics? Now, the, the, currently, the ambulance system works very well. What will change in all of this? That well, there's a vast unknown aspect of that, right? Like even take your ambulance services where he's, he's saying take it from 52 down to 10. So <laughs> yeah. that's a central dispatch. So right. how does central dispatch work in an area that is so massive? Like I don't know about you guys, just trying to get around Peterborough. We, we have like Romaine Street. Right. Romaine Street is on everywhere. So imagine somebody from Toronto trying to dispatch you to go yeah. to that or Downey Street or wherever the case may be, right? Uh, and you don't know, you may not be getting a Peterborough ambulance to even uh, respond to that. You could be getting a Coburg ambulance. You don't know what you're going to be getting. <laughs> or, or someone in Toronto is dispatched to what they read on the form as Monaghan Street, and they Mon- ask a yeah. local, Monaghan? We don't have a Monaghan. We don't have a Monaghan. Uh, yeah. or, or we have Monaghan. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Or somewhere in the county where you're dealing with a fire route number and an ambulance driver not from the area yep. understanding those rural route addresses. Which yeah. are complex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. So our main fear is, is for all of it, is, is it predominantly the, the massive amount of no knowledge. Yes. No direction, no plan, just right. these constant, as, as Stephen was saying, it's like every week there's another announcement, there's another cut, there's another change. Yeah. It's like, um, we used to say, it's like, let's create a crisis and whoever screams the loudest will deal with that. Sure. Um, every aspect of publicly funded services has been thrown up in the air by Ford, whether it's education, public health, mm-hmm. um and vast number of other things are public services. Mm-hmm. All of it has been literally tossed up in the air with no understanding of when it all comes crashing to the ground, what are we going to be left with? Right. Now, do we pick up the pieces? Who picks up the pieces? The public mm-hmm. is going to pick up the pieces by reduced services, higher costs. Right. And that's that's just wrong. That's just very, very wrong. Now, it's a gross understatement, and uh, I'm sure everyone can attest to, to say that those who work in public health and healthcare in general experience high levels of job stress. Now, people are smiling in the studio, but I think they're being very patient <laughs> with me. Work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what changes do you anticipate experiencing here in Peterborough? What are you hearing from your membership on the level of what's the workplace going to be like? We're terrified, absolutely terrified. We are already dealing with horrendous amount of workload just right. just from volume. The the very um, population that we deal with is is heavily dependent on our healthcare here in Peterborough and right. the surrounding area. It's just the geographics that we're dealing with. So there is a lack of services for our seniors mm-hmm. in in Peterborough as well. In the aspect that you do come to the health center for your treatment or your surgery or whatever, but then you are going to move to the community. Those community services, because they're publicly funded, aren't there as well. You may get an hour of home care. Right. And we all know that an hour of home care isn't going to help somebody who has mobility issues, who, right. you know, we're going to end up with that patient back in the in the hospital anyways. We're already starting to yeah. see those increased readmissions for that very, very reason. It's no Which costs more money. Absolutely. Right. It costs yeah. twice as much money to do that because right. you're, you're just ramping it up. We have lots of patients who have nowhere else to go. There is nowhere else for them to go, or they are being discharged to our long-term facilities with higher level of care needs than the long-term care can actually provide. We have a saying in long-term care, they used to walk to in the front door. Now they wheel in through the front door. And that's a problem because we are supported in the long-term care by our PSWs, personal support workers, uh, RN, RPN support as well. But that hands-on care is huge, huge, a huge amount of care. And when you have a PSW responsible for anywhere from 10 to 18 residents personally, 
it's you just you can't provide that kind of care the yep. workloads and the levels that you get even at the hospital as as staff are burnt out they call in sick or there's absenteeism the work still has to get done no matter mm. what the care still needs to be done what happens at a healthcare facility may be that you have a patient load of anywhere from 5 to 7 right uh, of that, you distribute and try to balance it out to be as even as possible. But if you have a high care patient, you can guarantee that the person who's a low care isn't going to get as much care right. as they probably should. Right. But that's the challenges our nurses face every single day. They know they're not providing the standards of care that they want to or that they used to. But given what they're dealing with, they do the best that they can. Now, I heard... Uh uh, Doug Ford speak uh, before the, uh, the provincial election when he was in Peterborough. And he, I have to say, he spoke quite movingly about his experience in hospitals uh, when his brother was dying, Rob was dying of cancer, and his respect for frontline nurses mm-hmm. and, and uh, RPNs and so on. And yeah. He spoke quite movingly of, you know, uh, my hat's off to them. I've got to say I love those people. They work so... So, as a human being uh, with loved ones in healthcare, I mean, mm-hmm. he watched his brother die. I know he gets it, mm-hmm. but how do we bridge the gap? Because the four of us here, we have family members, we have loved ones, etc., who could be in the same situation, needing that that priceless care. Mm-hmm. Well, part of the problem is uh, bureaucrats sitting behind a desk looking at budgetary line numbers like Lori Express. You know, the cost of health care really isn't on the frontline labor or the delivery of it, but those other hidden costs, you know, the cost of heating those hospitals. So part of the consulting process that I think this government missed an opportunity on was talking to frontline, talking to the unions, and and that's where that gap needed to have been bridged. Because, hmm. again, you mentioned the exent, uh, exhaustive amount of research done by QP, uh, and that conversation that should have happened with the unions, with the frontline workers, mm-hmm. and not simply with bureaucrats saying, well, we've got to find uh, $20 million. Right. Let's just slash it right here. Right. And... Does anyone know much about the long-term care system? Because <coughs> that's where we're going. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, I sit on the board of Fairhaven. Oh well, okay. I, so I, what's I can, happening there? I, I can tell you, it's it's uh, now our our executive director for that facility is phenomenal. The statistics, the data that he compiles on a daily basis to see how well that facility is doing. And and I know he's stressed about it, too, because then the challenges of finding PSW to work in that industry. And again, you know, care must continue, Uh, you know, with absenteeism. It, it is a significant concern. We don't have a lot of young people saying, well, you know, I'm going to go into a profession where I'm going to get abused and have to work extremely hard. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So th- yeah. that's not where they want to go. Yeah. Um, and and the, the scrutiny of the work that they do, I mean, it's unbelievable. When I look at, uh, you know, Lionel's report on a monthly basis, mm-hmm. it, 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 it wouldn't be a line of work I would personally want to ever get into. Yeah. I'll take the harsh criticism on political stuff over social media. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah, frontline staff, sure. absolutely. The the um, challenges of frontline staff are are escalating with with our aging population and with early onset Alzheimer's, dementia, uh, all sorts of stuff. Violence is becoming more prevalent, um, and it's it's. It's frustration from the patient's perspective that they're not getting what they need. When you said violence, you mean violence towards healthcare workers? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So QP's also has a campaign on violence towards healthcare workers. It's actually one of the, it's one of the, um, probably one of the more um, harmful industries to actually be in for the amount of. Really? Yeah. Of abuse that, that people suffer. And it's, it's physical. It's, it's. It's mental, it's it's verbal, it's all aspects of it's sexual assault, it's all of that 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 people in healthcare 
deal with. And as Stephen said, our PSWs are going to people's private homes on their own and they're experiencing the same and similar type of experiences. It's a very challenging field. It really truly is. And what we are advocating for is that healthcare is one of, it's called hands-on healthcare for a reason. You need the hands Mm -hmm. there. You can have your fancy equipment, you can have all your data, you can have all your charting, you can have everything you want. But at the end of the day, what your patient needs and what your patient wants are those hands. Yeah. And getting dressed is getting dressed. Getting dressed. A bath is a bath. A bath is a bath. Not one, not one bath a week as you get in long-term care. Right. Not six minutes to get ready and dressed in the morning to get to the breakfast table. Right. I don't know about you, but when I'm 85 years old, I want to go and have breakfast in my house coat. I want to have a piece of toast at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I don't want to get up at 6 a.m. with the whip being cracked and somebody dragging me out of bed and forcing me into my clothes and making me go there for breakfast. That is not what our seniors deserve. That's what they get, though. Speaking about seniors, and we're we're winding down here in our time. Just got a few minutes left. But uh, I know many people who are not so much older than me anymore, who are hoping to stay at home for as long as they can, supported by Community Care Peterborough, which is a volunteer organization, yeah. but yeah. also supported by uh, mm-hmm. public services. Yeah. How, are those services going to be there? Not with this government. Uh, well, you know, it's funny enough, I was at a community sure. care volunteer uh, luncheon today. Yes. And it, I was astonished by the amount of work they actually do and, you know, with what we get them for funding. And I said, well, how do you do it? You know, their meals on wheels, their hospital delivery, yeah. their fall programs. Right. It, it's going to be challenging as a population grows sure. for organizations like that to yeah. meet their commitment to the community with no money. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, last question. Um, and it's the one we've been sort of uh, dancing around all night. Uh, What's your assessment of the level of public support for for labor action, for just uh, changing the government's course? Now, you mentioned right at the beginning of the program that, uh, Laura, you were at the the large demonstration, 10,000 people. I know there have been other demonstrations. What's it going to take? What's your assessment of the support out there? I do believe the public support is there for us, what, um, for healthcare and, and stuff like that. My biggest concern is still the lack of knowledge that the public has. They aren't yeah. aware. Yeah. And I, I know that for QP and my members say it all the time, you've been screaming the sky is falling since as long as I've known you, Lori. <laughs> and I said, I know, I yeah. know, because every government thinks they're going to be the transformer of healthcare. Right. Right. But in this particular case, this is the most frightening transformation of healthcare, and our public needs to know that. Because Mr. Ford is not providing the public with the details or what his plan is. So the only way we can do it is through forums like this and additional rallies. Again, QP's loud, we're everywhere. We will continue to do that. All right, and with uh, on that note, uh, thank you so much, Amanda and Lori and of course Stephen for coming by and uh, partaking in this. I have the sad feeling we're going to have to repeat this process, come back in six months because this is not going to go away. Anyway, thank you very much. You've been listening to Pints and Politics. We're on in two weeks, June sixth. Until then, take care. <laughs>